Hi, I'm Jason Nichols, and I'm on the left. And I'm Vince Colonnese, and I'm on the right. And, and if, if we, we can't, can't find, find common, common ground, ground in this world, world today, today, then we're all just travelers. Passing each other in an international airport. And this great American experiment will be relegated to the trash bin of history. So let's come together to debate without yelling. And, and let's, let's save, save this, this nation. nation. Our vaccine's a gift from God. And is the war in Afghanistan over? Next on Vincent Jason Save the Nation. But you're white. Do you understand what a multicultural space? It means you're not being centered. White's not a culture? No. No, it's not a culture. Is is the war on terror over, General Milley? Absolutely not. Try freedom instead of coercion. But most of all, try understanding that there's no more basic medical right than deciding what we inject into our bodies. Did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield? There will never be black liberation or indigenous sovereignty as long as the United States of America exists. God himself wants you to take the vaccine. I need you to be my apostles, Hokel thundered. Vincent Jason Save the Nation is brought to you by Goldco. Hey guys, welcome back to Vincent Jason Save the Nation. It's Friday, so we're going to do our clips and we're going to go through them and we're going to talk about them. So uh, Vince, first of all, how you doing? Uh, doing all right. You're looking really good in your shirt. Your shoulders are looking built. I thank you very much. You know, that's that's key. <laughs> I was complaining. No, I've, I was complaining to Jason before we got started here. I'm like, dude, you obviously are like going to the gym. You're doing well. I'm, I see these videos and like my shirt's hanging down. And I'm thinking, God, I at least need to hit shoulder day a little bit harder because it's just not working for me on these videos. If you are on the audio podcast right now, it is a blessing. You do not want to be seeing me right now. Uh, but yeah, no, so Jason, thank you for rubbing that in. I'm gonna, we're going to well, hit shoulder hey, day look. in a couple months from now. This video is going to be completely different. What's important, Vince, is what's between your shoulders, which is your brain. <laughs> and we know that you're a smart guy and you've been getting great analysis over the last couple of weeks. So. Well, I hang out with this guy, Jason Nichols. <laughs> hey, by the way, I do have to say um, uh, uh, my thanks to Dave Rubin for being with us this week. He's just the latest in a series of great guests that we've had on the show. Uh, and next week, I'm not going to break the news just yet, but we have a huge guest for next week. So if you have been with us for a while, uh, we appreciate it. And if this is your first time listening, make sure you subscribe right now because we have a big guest coming next week uh, and a number of big guests actually over the next few weeks. It's a, it's a great thing for the show and for America, I think. Yeah, no, it's going to, it's going to be a ton of fun. We've got people from the left, people from the right. uh, And we're going to make America talk to one another and we're going to have difficult conversations. And that's what you're here for if you're here. And, And we appreciate each and every one of you who are watching. So Let's uh, get going with our show. You know how we do on Friday. So we have our first clip comes from Arizona State University. Let's take a look. You're you're offensive. Police lives matter. You have the same sticker. We're just trying to do school. What? You guys have the same sticker as the other. But this is our space. We've got a police lives matter sticker and we're getting kicked out. Can't do school. You, you just said we have to leave. No, I said you're making the space you said uncomfortable. Me feel uncomfortable. But you're white. Do you understand what a multicultural space? It means you're not being centered. White's not a culture? No. No, it's not a culture. It's white is not a culture. Say it again to the camera. You think whiteness is a culture? This is insane. So anyway, this is the violence that ASU does, and this is the type of people that they protect. Okay, this white man thinks he can take up our space, And this is why we need a multicultural space. 
because they think they can get away with this shit. I'm gonna sit here the whole time and you can find somebody to kick that, you. That's cool, we, we, we're we not will. Kicking you out. We're asking you to leave if you have any consideration for people of color and our marginalized. So clearly don't. Room that I can go? Yeah, the whole rest of the campus, the whole, the second floor, the first floor, the whole MU, every single part of the campus centers you. This is the only space that you're not centered and you're still trying to center yourself, which is peak white cis male bullshit. You are racist, your sticker is racist because police, that's a job. You can choose to be a police, I, didn't, I don't choose to be black. Okay, no, you can choose to be a cop, you can choose to kill people with a badge, and you're protecting that shit, which means that you're racist. I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to defend you guys. I know, I know, but this offends us automatically because these people kill people like me and like us, right? So you're promoting our murderers. So please just don't do that. Okay, Vince, uh, what do you think about that interaction there? One, I'm just glad I'm not in college anymore. I just think, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, God, college was crazy. College has gotten a lot crazier. If you haven't been there in a while, you see videos like that and you're like, holy crap. Uh, it's As far as I could tell from that video, these two guys are sitting there studying, doing nothing, and then they're confronted. My understanding is that the, the girl in question is confronting them is an activist, I believe, uh, who sort of routinely does all sorts of woke activism. And so she's getting in their faces about being there and how they're not allowed to be a part of a multicultural space, which is kind of weird to me because like multicultural would suggest that it's kind of inclusive of everybody, right? But apparently not. She was trying to run them out. And uh, it's pretty actually kind of crazy because it was like in the name of tolerance, she was being very intolerant of anybody else being there. I don't know. I mean, look, first of all, uh, showing an encounter or a discussion between 18-year-old kids uh, I think is, <clears throat> again, you know, 18-year-old kids are going to have discussions. They're going to have, you know, that was not a confrontation. Nobody was getting pushed or shoved. And from what uh, the person said, they weren't even asking the guy to leave. They were just, you know, confronting him about his sticker. Um, and I understand, you know, the other guys were like, look, I want to study. That's the kind of stuff that happens in college. That's part of being part of, you know, part of a college community. I think making this a big viral clip is is kind of silly. And I, and I also will say, you know, the guys like white's not a culture. Um, I'm wondering what white culture is. Is is there a white food? Like, are there white tra music traditions? Now, you want to say Italian American, Irish American, you know, even if you want to say, you know, uh just generally, you know, American cultures, which of course would include lots of other people that are mm -hmm. non-white, but would also include white Americans. Yeah, sure. But when you're saying white culture, I'm wondering what that is. Um, I think even broadly, when we say black culture in this country, we mean black American culture. And, you know, there's also black Jamaican culture and black nigerian culture and there's all kinds of black cultures um we put under the, we put a black american culture which we probably should specify american but i think when people have this reaction like well then why isn't there white you know that is a misunderstanding um of what we mean when we say black culture or black music we're usually talking about a specific we're not talking about the race we're talking about black american 
Um, which again, I, I think when you say white and you're making it about race, what is white culture? You mm -hmm. know that, I mean, I'm not sure what that is. I, I can tell you you're, you know, you're Italian American, um, you know, uh, traditions uh, that are partially, I'm sure, from Italy and partially here from the United States, and they've been hybridized and they're really cool. Yeah. And yeah. I wish you would, you know, uh, invite me in to to actually take part in them. Or you're gonna Irish do it culture. one of these one of these Sundays, man. You got to come over for pasta night every oh, Sunday I, night. I freaking love pasta. Let's yeah. do it. And I can tell you, you can come over. We don't eat a ton of soul food in my house, but <laughs> I will invite you over. We'll eat some soul food. Look, we'll even eat. We're, yeah. we're a very Caribbean household, too. So you can have I some like Caribbean that. food. I like you that. You know, we'll get some some empanadas, some oxtail. We'll, we'll get it popping. We should celebrate one another's cultures. Um, and I, I think, you know, if they wanted to have this discussion, there was a way to have it. And, and right. I think that. They didn't necessarily do it. I think confrontation is not the way to always have a discussion. There are no, times for confrontation, but yeah. but I don't think that was necessarily the time. But I think a video like that, you're right. If you know, if you get a bunch of like you know, eighteen year olds who are having an argument, it shouldn't be the basis for you know an indictment of every word that they used and the guy saying white's not a culture. What do you mean? Uh, like like I, I I agree with you on that front. I think what it is though is it's kind of emblematic. It illustrates something that's going on on college campuses and what we could expect in the for the rest of the world once they get out of college, right? So it was I remember years ago it was like, oh, all that craziness is contained to college campuses. And then it all that craziness started overtaking corporate boardrooms. All the people who were going to Harvard and Yale and Stanford who were experiencing all this craziness are now in the ruling class in our society and have brought a lot of it with them. And um, so, so it is worthwhile to pay attention to what is going on on college campuses. What the, the core of what we saw in that video is that uh, the girls, or at least the girl who was speaking, was advocating for segregated spaces. And that's, I think, a cancer to our country. Well, I, I don't think that's what she said. She said, whiteness isn't centered here. It's a multicultural space. So we're, they're not centering whiteness doesn't mean that white people aren't welcome doesn't mean that white people can't be there it's saying that whiteness is not centered i feel and like I the argument i feel like the argument that was discussion pretty explicit about that the reason the fact that they were there they were objecting to that i mean like no they were objecting to his sticker that police lives matter yeah police lives matter they they were objecting to that because uh, and and you know we would have to ask them but my understanding is they're trying to make it uh, that that is a statement essentially against black, you know, black lives mattering or brown or indigenous lives mattering. It's it's really just a reaction, you know, to to what, you know, to those claims. It's not really pro police or anything like that. It's actually just kind of a provocation. And the other thing I would say, if police lives matter, you know what the number one killer of police officers is right now? COVID-19. I'll just say that. Hmm. It's not, it's not gunfire. It's not accidents. So if we want, if you really care about police and you want to protect police, there are ways to do that. Um, okay. That a lot of people on the right just refuse to Can do. I, let me, but let me just get, I, I want to go back to this point about segregated spaces. So even if sure. she wasn't telling them to get out of that space, there really is a trend among uh, some college radicals and, and it's not, it, it's not an isolated phenomenon. 
where uh, we're seeing segregated spaces return to campus as some sort of uh, positive that, you know, if we have like, for instance, Harvard having a black only graduation, um, you know, there's, there's this, you know, and uh, obviously we see um, race-based dorm rooms get advocated for on uh, dorms on college campuses. Is this a positive trend for the country that we're moving in the direction of using segregation as some sort of um, sign of progress? I mean, it, it seems very so, regressive. So I'll, I'll say this, um, and, and I know uh, that our producers are always like, you guys are gonna drag on too long, but I'll just say this. Um, first of all, I think there's a difference between separation and segregation. Um, I think separation is done by two parties willingly uh, for the benefit of both in many cases. And then there's segregation, which is forced upon a small group of people usually, or sometimes on a large group of people um, for the benefit of a few. Um, so I think that in, in this case, or particularly when we talk about, and I've had this discussion um, with some, one of our future guests who I, maybe we'll have this discussion again when, when, we, when we see that future guest. Um, when we talk about, for example, the graduations, right? Mm -hmm. They yeah. have Latino graduation that I'm usually a part of. Um, Pre-COVID, I was, I was a part of it every year. Um, we have Latino graduation. I would bring my kids um, because that's one of the cultures that they're a part of. And I want them to see you know, young people graduating that, that look like them so that mm -hmm. they feel encouraged. Um, so one of the things, the reasons that we have Latino graduation is language barriers. So your grandparents can go to the graduation and hear and understand because the graduation is bilingual. So there's a reason for having Latino graduation um, so that these kids can actually get you know, so the families can actually understand what's going on. So the grandma can actually hear, you know, uh, their grandchild's name and understand the award that they're getting and, and all of that. So there is reason to have um, some, you know, some graduations. And by the way, there's no rule that white people can't attend the Latino graduation. There is no rule, there are white professors you know, shout out to, to my good friend, Robert. He's always, we're always sitting on stage right next to each other. And he's as white and as British as it comes, tea and crumpets, you know, at 12 p.m. <laughs> he's that kind of British guy. I guess and you, guess you what? Attend, but he can, is can on you... stage because he is admired by the Latino students right. on campus. But if you're like white, can you walk in a black graduation? I mean, I don't, I don't think there's a, a paper bag test. You know, I think white students don't choose to do so. I guess, but, but, but like, so then what's the point? I just, that's all I'm saying. Like, what's the point yeah, of having I mean, a separate, the, the separate race-based um, graduation? Yeah, I, I think the point is there are certain things that get recognized at a black graduation that will not get recognized at the larger graduation. Some people walk in both. But for example, your, um, your participation in certain groups you know, uh, mm -hmm. will get recognized at a black graduation. If you're part of the black male initiative or if you're part of the black student union, mm -hmm. um, there are certain things that you may have done on campus that get recognized in that smaller black setting um, that students wanna be a part of. Again, things that 
people complained about with the NFL. At the black graduation, you can play lift every voice and people stand up and they, you know, are, are uh, you know, appreciative of that. There are things that can happen culturally at those graduations that may not be appreciated. It's again about the centering of blackness. Now, if you are a white person, um, I'm not sure I'm, you know, there's people that I, I thought were white, you know, but I didn't, you know, they could have been black or had a black grandparent or something like that. There are people that I thought were white who, who walked at black graduation um, right. because they wanted to walk with their friends. They wanted to get recognized for being part of NAACP or part of Black Student Union, which by the way, there are white people who are part of Black Student Union. There are white people who are part of NAACP. Um, you know, who, who actually walk. Yeah. I, again, I, I don't want to say, A, they were white and then get an email tomorrow. Like if you were talking <laughs> about me, actually, Look. you know, Look. my grandfather's black Puerto Rican, you know, <laughs> so I, I don't want to say that, but we cert there's certainly no rule. I can promise you. I know the people who put on black graduation at the University of Maryland. And if you are white and you are particularly part of the community, who's been advocating part as part of the community, they're going to let you walk. They're going to celebrate you. I guess, I, I guess, you know, the thing that I'm seeing happening though, is like, we're, we're normalizing segregated spaces and you're saying separated spaces. So I'll, I'll use your word separated spaces uh, rather than inclusive ones. So you think like the point of the civil rights movement is to move towards inclusivity, that people be included in society. And what we're seeing now, this current trend is it is often referred to as neo segregation, where now we've had where we've basically made segregation a public good, where we think that separating people out based on their racial categories is uh, is a good trend, and I th I think it's damaging. It's like you know we're a multicultural society, and in order to bring a society like that together, we should emphasize sort of unifying themes rather than those that divide us. I, I think. Uh, you know, this is what one of the chief criticisms you bring up lift every voice and sing, which is a fantastic song. But the idea that we would have two national anthems presented at, a, say, a football game, you know, you heard Bill Maher, you may have heard Bill Maher talk about this this past week or so. Um, I thought he raised a good point. It's like it's one nation. So it should, of course, have one national anthem. That makes perfect sense. Well, Bill, and if you don't Bill, if you don't like the national anthem that exists, he argues, then we should change it. But we should have one. Well, again, I, I think Bill Maher needs to look up the definition of nation and what nation means. A lot of people mistake nation for country. And that's not what nation means. Nation means a group of people who are unified by uh, similar interests. So nation can be, you know, of course, we have Native American nations and arguably, Again, this is why you have black people saying that black people are a nation within a nation. Doesn't make us any less part of another nation. It. But it just means that we are a group with, and again, part of nation is, is similarities, including race, you know, one could argue, but nation just means we have similar interests. Um, and I don't think anybody would debate the fact that black people in this nation have similar interests. Right. Um, I just think I, I, I could you could you could drill that down semantically. I think the point is that the way we refer to the national anthem in the United States is just as a, as a country's anthem, as the as the anthem that stitches the United States together. 
And for that reason, I, I do think that it makes sense to have one uh, and yeah. to uh, and to appreciate other songs like Left Every Voice and Sing, God Bless America. You know, all those other songs, ha those have value. Uh, but of course, you know, we should have, we should, I think, seek to um, rally behind our unifying symbols of the things that make, let help, help us recognize what a great country this is and why we decided to all do this together. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of America the Beautiful. I think that they should play that, but we, we can, um, we can talk about this all day, but let's yeah. move on to, uh, you know, they interviewed the general, or excuse me, um, the generals went before Congress and uh, testified and were asked some pretty pointed questions. So let, let's take a look at what uh, General McKenzie and General Milley uh, had to say. Is, is the war on terror over, General Milley? Absolutely not. Uh, General McKenzie? The war in terror is not over, and the war in Afghanistan is not over either. Has the exit from Afghanistan made the war more challenging for us or less challenging with respect to continuing to try and protect the homeland and U.S. interests abroad? Senator just made it more challenging. General Mill, you agree? Ab ab yeah, absolutely. Okay, so what do you think? You know, you know before you answer that, I got to say this. You know what I think is so funny about our current political discourse is right now, you either have to be pro-General Milley uh -huh. or anti-General Milley. Uh -huh. Instead of, you know, there are things I agree with that General Milley says and things I disagree with that General Milley says. I really don't care about General Milley. I care about, you know, what it is that he says and does. And there are things that, there, that he says and does that I agree with. Um, there are things that I think that certain people like to take out of context. Um, and I think that there are certain things that I disagree with. And one thing that I clearly disagree with is that many of the generals uh, didn't want to get out of Afghanistan at all. They wanted this to be a forever boots on the ground kind of conflict, which I think is old school thinking. You know, anybody who's been watching the show for a while recognizes that. That's kind of old thinking. That's kind of, you know, post-World War II Mm -hmm. uh, way of operating. And I think the Trump administration saw that that was the wrong way to go about it. If there's one thing I agreed with, you know, from Donald Trump, it was that. And, uh, you know, I don't like to admit much that I agreed with, but I agreed with Trump on, yo, these forever wars have to end. Um, and we can't have boots on the ground forever. Um, and we're, it's not our job always to police every other place in the world. I right. agreed with Donald Trump. I agreed, you know, with um, with Tulsi Gabbard, you know, and I agree with Joe Biden on that. This is something where there's pretty broad agreement across the political spectrum. The yeah. generals want to fight wars forever. And, you know, Trump defied them. Biden defied them. And I think now they're just kind of pissed off about it. Yeah, I mean, and we also know, thanks to the Pentagon papers or the our modern version of the Pentagon papers published in 2019 known as the Afghanistan papers by the Washington Post that for these past decades these past two decades we've been fed a steady diet of lies about the progress in Afghanistan uh, and they were known as lies by the um, the investigator that looked into all of this and interviewed all of these general officers and senior government officials and kept finding out that they were offering rosy projections to the American public about the progress of the Afghan security forces while simultaneously behind the scenes admitting the Afghan security forces were either a disaster 
or uh, not going to be prepared or not going to be able to do this without the United States government constantly there forever. So, um, you know, we were lied to. And, and in fact, um, the effect of that was that we lost a lot of American lives and treasure uh, in Afghanistan over that time frame, uh, while constantly being deceived about the status of the mission there. And so this week, I thought it was interesting to watch these guys testifying before Congress. I think in the clip that we just played, uh, where they say, yes, things are more difficult now in the war on terror. That's the kind of thing that's going to be um, not comfortable for the White House to have to handle. Um, by and large, I think they got kind of you know, glossed over anyway. So they're probably going to, you know, kind of wipe their brow and move on. Um, but obviously, the Biden administration is trying to say, look, we have these over the horizon capabilities, we'll be able to continue to prosecute the war on terror, regardless of uh, the fact that we're not in Afghanistan. Um, also, this week, the, the other big thing is that all of the generals and the defense secretary seem to signal that they were all recommending that, um, that Biden keep uh, a true presence of some 2,500 troops in there and keep Bagram. And that was their personal thought. Now, it was interesting. All these guys claimed, I can't tell you what I told the president. Because remember, President Biden claimed in the George Stephanopoulos interview, no, no, I don't, I don't recall any of them telling me to keep 2,500 troops in the country to keep Bagram. Um, but all these guys suggested this week, yeah, that actually was kind of their advice suggesting that it was the, you know, the president was lying in that interview. If, and if he wasn't lying in that interview, then the generals are now lying about the position that they took. So one way or the other, somebody's lying here. Uh, and it is, and that's not a good thing, Jason, as you know, I mean, this is my big thing. We need trust in our institutions and this is not cultivating it. And uh, I hope we yeah. learn some lessons from it. And I think it's also time for some fresh blood in the upper ranks of the American military. Yeah, I, I, you know, I can't really say I, you know, I never served in the military, you know, obviously, you know, we have great respect for the military, your, your father and brother served, my mother served, my cousin served, my uncle served, um, you know, we're lifers, my mother wasn't a lifer, but you know, a, a lot of my other family members are, are, are military lifers, some of my best friends are lifers, also big fans of the show. And, um, you know, so I, I, I don't want to say, you know, that we need new leadership in uh, the upper ranks of the military. Um, and I think that our government has been dishonest uh, for a long time. We saw incredible dishonesty over the last uh, several years of the last administration. We're seeing some of that continued in this administration and we've seen it in the past. Um, and I think American people are getting fed up with it. And it also is costing lives because now nobody trusts you know, it, it's like Bob Arum, where, you know, uh, one of the famous quotes by Bob Arum, the boxing promoter, I'm a big boxing fan. Mm -hmm. One of his famous quotes is, yeah, then I was lying, but this time I'm telling the truth. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like, how are we going to believe that you're telling the truth? You were lying, you admitted to lying right. before. So um, I think uh, one of the things that we do know is that the world has changed. The war on terror has changed. I think a lot of them are saying, yes, the war, in or at least General McKenzie saying, the war in Afghanistan is not over. Um, I think we all know that there was, you know, this, uh, you know, radical ISIS-K, you know, extremist element in probably in many parts of the Middle East. 
I just think we have a different way of being able to deal with that. Hopefully, yeah. if we get good military intelligence and don't and don't you know drone children, yeah, uh, who had nothing to do with it. But if we Big get time. good military intelligence, and I'm not against drone intelligence or even drone warfare if it's done responsibly and with good smart intelligence, and yes. you get the right people. See, There's a quote by my favorite, one of my favorite rappers, Nas, which is like, "Catch him solo and make the right man bleed." You know what I mean? Like, that's the way this should work. <laughs> I think you know, you're but- right. That's a good good advice from Nas. Uh, look, here's the thing, though. What you just laid out is exactly the reason that General Milley should be fired. I would say that you just made a great case for it. And here's what I mean. The fact is, Milley came out and claimed that that strike that you just referred to was a righteous strike. He claimed that that was an ISIS guy, that they confirmed it was an ISIS-K guy. He claimed that there was a secondary explosion that was indicative of explosives inside the vehicle. These were all lies. And he told, I think there were five lies he told within 60 seconds now in retrospect about all of this. This was not true. Oh, and that they had the same threshold um, for uh, making that decision to take the strike as they've always had with drones. It's just as responsible and rigorous. It wasn't. It was a completely failed drone strike. And it was designed to be a CYA exercise after we lost 13 troops. It was, it was, they were trying to show some evidence of action. So they were taking these strikes against people. And in this case, a US aid worker and seven children were killed, not a single ISIS-K person in the vehicle was water. And there was a propane tank that detonated as a result of it, that results in a much smaller explosion than any meaningful package of explosives. If you talk to these guys who deal on explosives for the military, it's just, and, and clearly they've had to lower the threshold for this type of strike in order to make that attack in a crowded area. Um, I, Jason, I just think that it's okay to admit that some people are just not right for that job. And it turns out Mark Milley is just not right for that job. He, somebody else should be doing that. Uh, whatever good he may have done in his military career at this moment, he's squandering it. Well, I think also um, the thing that is we, we have to recognize that this kind of stuff and the death of civilians, whether at the hands of drones or whether at the hands of uh, military boots on the ground, they depend upon good intelligence. And there have been a lot of situations uh, at least if you talk to people in the Middle East, where the American people or the American military has gone and hurt the wrong people or people have been so-called collateral damage and they've been children right. and others. So I, I think we can blame this on Mark Milley. And I think part of that is because, you know, there are so many people who are willing to blow the whistle now. I think now that there's pressure to come out and say, yeah, we made a mistake here. Yeah, we were wrong. Yeah, we killed the wrong people. Um, But I think that's been happening over the last 20 years and arguably throughout our military history. But certainly over the last 20 years, that's been happening. But there weren't the people who were going to come forward and say, look, you know, you better tell them or I will. Um, And I think that's a good thing. But so I'm not so sure. My point is, I'm not so sure that Mark Milley is any worse than any of the other leaders or commanders that we've seen in our wars. Um, but the question is, can we get better? And I, you know, I'm not going to advocate for or against Mark Milley. Um, but I, if we can do better, we should always do better. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, we, do, we deserve better, I think. You know, um, and, and that's that's the question. I'm not so sure. Based on our past, I don't think we've done any better. 
I think we've always made these mistakes. I think we've cost costed hundreds of thousands or at least tens of thousands of innocent lives. And many of them have been children. Um, and I think it's safer, believe it or not. I think it is safer for children in, in Afghanistan and children in Pakistan and children and all over, you know, where, where there's an American presence. It's safer probably with them uh, not having military boots on the ground. And that's not saying, that's not saying that military are out trying to harm people. That's the exact opposite of what they're trying to do. But if they don't have good intelligence, um, if they're leading with aggression and, and don't know, you know, are not getting the right information, then disasters happen. And yeah. luckily I, I just... now the American people are starting to find out about it. And I think that only strengthens the fact that Americans don't want to be in all yeah. these parts of the world and be involved in everything. Yeah, I think look, good people handle their own affairs. Good leaders make good decisions. Political leaders make political decisions. We've had far too many political leaders uh, who've and, the, and those political decisions are often very bad decisions and not good for our country or for anybody else's. All right. All right. So. uh one of the people that we've talked about a bunch on this show, uh, Senator Rand Paul, um, had some words for Xavier Becerra um, about COVID. He's been somebody who's spoken a lot about COVID and, and disagreed with Dr. Fauci. Um, so let's listen to what Rand Paul had to say about or say um, about the way we're handling COVID. Mr. Becerra, are you familiar with an Israeli study that had uh, 2.5 million patients and found that the vaccinated group was actually seven times more likely to get infected with COVID than the people who had gotten COVID naturally? Senator, I'd have to get back to you on that one. I'm not familiar with that study. Well, you think you might want to be if you're going to travel the country insulting the uh, millions of Americans, including NBA star Jonathan Isaac, who have had COVID, recovered, look at a study with 2.5 million people and say, well, you know what? It looks like my immunity is as good as a vaccine or not. And in a free country, maybe I ought to be able to make that decision. Instead, you've chosen to travel the country calling people like Jonathan Isaac and others, myself included, flat earthers. We find that very insulting, goes against the science. Are you a doctor or a medical doctor? I've worked uh, over 30 um, years on health so policy. You're, you're not a medical doctor. Do you have a science degree? And yet you travel the country calling people flat earthers who have had COVID, looked at studies of millions of people, and made their own personal decision that their immunity they naturally acquired is sufficient. But you presume somehow to tell over 100 million Americans who have survived COVID that we have no right to determine our own medical care. You alone are on high and you've made these decisions, a lawyer with no scientific background, no medical degree. This is an arrogance coupled with an authoritarianism that is unseemly and un-American. You, sir, are the one ignoring the science. The vast preponderance of scientific studies, dozens and dozens show robust, long-lasting immunity after COVID infection. Even the CDC does not recommend measles vaccine if you have measles immunity, the same was true for smallpox. But you ignore history and science to shame the flat earthers, as you call them. You should be ashamed of yourself and apologize to the American people for being dishonest about naturally acquired immunity. 
You want more people to choose vaccination? So do I. You want to lessen vaccine hesitancy? So do I. You want to have that happen? Quit lying to people about naturally acquired immunity. Quit lording it over people, acting as if these people are deplorable and unwashed. Try persuasion instead of government cudgels. Try humility instead of arrogance. Try freedom instead of coercion. But most of all, try understanding that there's no more basic medical right than deciding what we inject into our bodies. Okay. Um, there is non-board certified ophthalmologist uh, Rand <laughs> Come Paul. on. Come on. Uh, you know, complaining that someone, you know, talking about public health when he uh -huh. is a non-board certified ophthalmologist. Um, what does that mean? Because he's not currently practicing? Is that why he's non-board certified? Yeah, well, I, I, there's there's debate about that. Some of that is that he doesn't believe that the state can regulate blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's a libertarian position. You know, it's a libertarian kind of position <clears throat> that he's had. But, you know, of course, board certification is important uh, for your doctor. <laughs> but wait, didn't, I would get didn't a board Paul, certified doctor. Didn't Rand Paul work on COVID patients, though, like at the beginning of the pandemic? He was in there in the, in the front yeah, lines, I, I thought. I, I mean, was he working on their eyes? Because he's an ophthalmologist. He's not an infectious diseases doctor, an epidemiologist. Okay, he's none of here. those things. Help me out here. I thought that the way it works with medical doctors is like there's there's sort of the basic medical doctor. That's where you start. And then there are specialists. That's like where you take in more education on top of your being an MD. And then you like, for his case, he's focusing on eyes, which are pretty you know, advanced yeah. form of science to have to, to, to work sure. on. No, th and, there's and nothing so, wrong with ophthalmologists. I, like we all need my eyesight is, okay. you know, decreasing. Ophthalmologists are good, but I'm not going, are you going to go to a podiatrist to get your, uh, to get, you know, to have heart surgery? No, no I just, you're going to go to a person who specializes in that particular area. So right. it just seemed to me <laughs> that he was sitting there saying, Xavier Becerra, you're not a physician. And it's like, but this isn't your area either. Um, now, again, <laughs> I think he had a point about natural immunity. When I when I looked it up with the, the Cleveland Clinic, Yeah. Um, basically they're saying, yes, COVID reinfection is possible, but it's rare. And mm -hmm. you do get uh, some level of immunity if you've had COVID. The strongest protection and... You will definitely feel good about this. Uh, the strongest protection is if you have had COVID and you are vaccinated. Those, those two things together, you're looking, you're sitting pretty. Right. Um, you're better off than the people who are just vaccinated, with, even if they're fully vaccinated. And you're better off than the people who are just depending mm. upon natural so immunity, which again, here's go ahead. Here's what the Israeli study shows, and we've talked about it before, but that's what Rand Paul cited here, uh, is that, you know, if you are vaccinated and have already had COVID, that's the highest. That's like yeah. you're the most protected. Then there's people who have had COVID. They're the second highest. And then there's the people who are fully vaccinated. They're the third highest in terms of being able to stop infection. And so what Rand Paul is asking for, it seems like a pretty simple thing, which is like, can people within the government health establishment Please acknowledge the role that natural immunity is playing and factor it into your recommendations because the government's recommendations form the basis of the mandates that we're seeing across the country. So if the CDC says, this is what we recommend, then a city or a state is going to say, okay, well, this is our mandate or a private business will say, okay, this is our mandate. We're basing it off of the CDC guidance. 
So when the HHS secretary is sitting in front of him, CDC falling mm-hmm. under HHS, it makes right. sense that he would raise this. And here's the thing that he was pushing back against Becerra on in particular. You heard him reference that Becerra said that um, vaccine hesitant people are flat earthers. He said this in an interview, not an interview, but it was a um, it was a video forum that he did over Zoom uh, in Kentucky. He was doing it with uh, health officials in Kentucky. So, of course, Rand Paul would be much more keenly aware of this. I wasn't aware of it until Rand Paul raised it. I looked it up and sure enough, it was an event in Kentucky that this took place in. And so Becerra calling people flat earthers. I don't think that's in any way helpful. I, I okay. really don't. This the, right. the the whole like you know knocking the population for for not subscribing to what you're recommending to them. I, I don't. I don't think that's how you make measurable gains in a public health crisis. Okay, so I just want to um, again. This comes from the Cleveland Clinic, and they're actually citing uh, a doctor whose name is Esper, who is a pediatric infectious diseases mm-hmm. expert, not an ophthalmologist. Um, He says, quote, this virus can overcome a person's host immunity and cause a second infection. Reports indicate that vaccination provides longer protection than natural infection. He's referencing a study that shows that unvaccinated people are 2.3 times more likely to be reinfected with COVID-19 than those who are fully vaccinated, which drives home the importance of being vaccinated, even if you've already had the virus. Yeah, all, quote, that must be old data. All, quote, almost all the cases that we are seeing right now are people who have not been vaccinated. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and this is, you know, you said it was old, relatively old, August 24th, 2021, right. 21. So uh, what? Oh, not that old. If the study uh, is would the, the oh, study was from ago? then, the study yeah. was from then. Yeah. So he's, you know, well, this was published five weeks ago. So, uh, okay. Well, here's from, what I'm asking. And again, here's what I'm asking you in particular. I'm saying this, his statement. This is statement, from the Cleveland, Cleveland Clinic. I got it. His statement was from five weeks ago. The study that he's referencing, the source study, is that also from five weeks ago? Is that all? Part I don't, of what you're I don't think about? that's um, from five weeks ago. Okay. But again, uh, it, it, it's okay oh, if, if yeah, you don't know. No, the actually, it is. <laughs> Believe okay. it or not. Um, gotcha. All right. So, so that, yeah, that, so, that, so that the, conflicts with what the Israeli study showed, which again yeah. came out it, about the similar time frame. It wasn't that long ago, it was yeah. in the last month or two. And when it came out, it showed that, um, that natural immunity provided 27 times stronger protection than full vaccination with the Pfizer BioNTech vaccine. So, um, Anyway, the point is that natural immunity is really strong. And here's the reason why they're not mentioning it, Jason, to be honest with you. They don't, they're, they're trying to tailor human behavior in the country. They don't want people to think, oh, well, then I'll take my risks. And if I get COVID, if I get COVID then, then I'll have strong protection after I have COVID. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take that coin toss. I, there, it's a patronizing attitude. It's like, oh my gosh, if we tell people natural immunity is strong, then they may take risks that they shouldn't. So we're not going to say that. We're just going to right. we're just going to keep that in check. And I despise that. I despise that attitude. No, I I I despise it too. And and I know we got to move on, but I despise it too. The only problem is the people that are hurting that are the people who who get um I don't know if I can say it the I word uh that <laughs> I medicine 
<laughs> the um, eye medicine, not we'll, the ophthalmology we'll, eye medicine. He's referring yeah, to yeah, the letter no. I. The letter I. We're, we'll we'll just uh, so that we don't get demonetized or anything. <laughs> we're we're gonna call it Allen Iverson. That's gonna be the the code word for that. And now a um, shout out to our censors. Uh, this video brought to you by. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, this video is brought to you by Grunt Style, and you see that we are looking really good today. As you can see, uh, I enjoy urinating outdoors. Yes. And what does that, that say? That shirt. It says nothing better than peeing outside. So wow, amen to that. Um, definitely for all of you outdoorsy people, it's kind of cool. <laughs> it's that brisk time. Now we're finally starting to feel like fall. Is that true? Um, There's literally nothing better than peeing outside. Is that is that the pinnacle of human experience? I don't say nothing. I sometimes I pee outside to get back at the deer in my backyard. Yes, because, but you have to fight back. That's true. Yeah, I mean they they poop all over the place. I sometimes step in their poop. They're gonna step in my pee. Um, <laughs> it's my way of getting back at them. But um, again, I I think you know uh, there is this competing study. Wait, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. I agree with you too, but wait, we got to throw out this for grunt style. You honestly, while we're talking grunt style, first of all, you should see my shirt too. It says Ton Tavern on it. Nice. Uh, born in a bar. And of course the Marines will know what I'm talking about here. Philadelphia bar, 1775. The United States Marine Corps is born in a bar. That's a great way for a military service to be born. <laughs> uh, and that's why I'm wearing this with respect to the Marines uh, and uh, this is all from Grunt Style. And if you're interested in uh, getting a piece of the Grunt Style action, which you should be, go to gruntstyle.com and enter the promo code STN. That stands for Save the Nation, of course. And they'll give you 10% off of great swag like Jason's shirt, which says that you think that the greatest thing is peeing outside, and mine that says Ton Tavern on it, born in a bar, which is uh, you know a good thing to remind people of. Anyway, sorry, okay. we're talking studies. Right. Well, I, I think we should probably move forward. Um, okay. Uh, there, there's so much to talk about with COVID, um, competing studies. Um, but I, I will say some of this, you, you are right about engineering human behavior. And it is true, though, that a lot of people are not even going to doctors to get the Allen Iverson, you know, thing. Um, they're actually, <laughs> Allen Iverson. you know, going... And, you know, getting the actual horse dewormer parasitic. A lot of people. Do we know that's a lot of enough, people? Done it? Enough people to, for it to be a little scary. You know, so I, I think the fear is, again, those people, yeah, they can do what they want. They can do what they're, they're, they want with their bodies. If you believe in classical liberalism, that's the position you're going to take, right? Sure. But the the problem with that is then they come to institutions that the rest of us use like yeah. emergency rooms they come to you know uh to uh end up in ICUs and all those kinds of things and they get sick um and they you know because they've been prescribing themselves and dosing themselves which is even more dangerous with some of these um these medications so again i understand their impulse to say in the name of public health, we need to make sure that we give people the right information. Yeah. Um, and make sure that, you know, and also try to engineer a little bit of human behavior. And so I, I understand that impulse, but I also understand what, what it is that you're saying. So let's move forward. My, you know, my bad for, you know, rambling on there, but let's talk a little bit about uh, you mentioned the Marine Corps. So we have mm -hmm. uh, 
a Marine officer uh, talking about Afghanistan and, you know, he suffered some consequences because of that. So let's take a look. Yep. Do you remember the courage it took for Lieutenant Colonel Stuart Schuller to get up and put on camera or, or on his iPhone that he's resigning? He couldn't be more embarrassed. He was so close to retirement. He too. was so close to retirement. He couldn't be more embarrassed by, uh, by the lack of integrity uh, that we showed with the, uh, with the withdrawal of Afghanistan. He says, that's it, I'm done. As a Marine, I can't do this anymore. I'm walking away from my retirement. Now we find out that he's been put in the brig until he could have his hearing. He's Excuse me? Incarcerated. The hearing's supposed to be on Thursday. Just in right. case you don't remember that video that he posted on Facebook and LinkedIn, here's a flashback. And I'm not saying we've got to be in, the, in Afghanistan forever, but I am saying... Did any of you throw your rank on the table and say, hey, it's a bad idea to evacuate Bagram Airfield, the strategic air barriers, before we evacuate everyone? I have been fighting for 17 years. I am willing to throw it all away to say to my senior leaders, I demand accountability. Right. And that is his point. Uh, after he posted that, and we talked about it, it's like, look at what this guy said. Uh, his supervisors said, you've got to stop doing that. He kept doing it, uh, and then he ignored them, and then, as you know, resigned. And he posted about this gag order they put him under, and that's what got him in trouble, uh, defying the gag order. He's in the brig, currently in pretrial confinement. What he's asking, though, for, as we heard there at the very end, and that is the same accountability that he is expected of him and his men from the people and at top. All right. So, I mean, I, I'm not as familiar with the with the military uh, as probably you are, but I will say this, like, um, while, you know, my free speech sensibilities really, you know, don't like this, if I'm not mistaken, and you can explain this, you know, better for me and for our audience, um, like, with the chain of command, you know, there is an expectation that you are not going to make those kinds of criticisms and certainly not make them on social media. Right. Um, and you understand that as a member of our military, certainly as as an officer in the military, you understand that. Like, right. So he, he knew he was breaking the rules and he knew that there were going to be consequences. Now, of course, uh, what's his face from Fox and Friends? Um what what is Brian Kilmeade? Is that Brian Kilmeade? Brian Kilmeade, Steve Ducey. Yeah. yeah. They not as, as far as I know, not being military people, probably are like, oh, they are punishing him for his political views. Well, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what you understand as going into the military. Is right. that correct or am I or am I No, you have that right. Although I would point out that Stuart Scheller didn't express any political views. There were uh he his views were about the accountability of the leadership. And he was saying he made an interesting point. I mean, a point on principle. It was like basically like, hey, if any any lower grade officer, if you have a a weapons uh, violation or, or whatever he referred to in the video, like you could basically say your career's over, you're done. Like so, so the lower ranking you are, the mistakes that are made by troops under you will be responsible for your demise. But it seems like the higher ranking you are, he was saying that that these top generals. They face no accountability for complete disasters. And Stuart Scheller was releasing this right after we lost 13 service members in Afghanistan in the messy exit from uh, Hamid Karzai International Airport in Kabul. And 
he's saying, wait a second. Like at no point did you say, if you don't keep Bagram in order to evacuate American citizens out of this country, there people are going to be in a hostage situation. We're going to lose people. This is going to be a disaster. I can't stomach this. I need to resign. That's when he said, did any of you throw your rank on the table and say that? Now, re resignation, of course, is a big sign. It's like a big thing, but it's the one thing available to you as a, as a general officer who advises the senior civilian leadership of the United States. If you don't like the direction they're taking, you can resign your post. And so you have Lieutenant Colonel Scheller saying, none of you thought to do this? Like None of you said, like, I'm going to resign on this, on this basis? And he acknowledged, as you point out in that video, that there would likely be consequences for him for releasing the video. And of course there were, they were swift. And the, the Marine Corps moved quickly on him and, and basically told him, don't do this anymore. They imposed this gag order on him and he kept doing it anyway. And so what they've done this week is they threw him in jail. Now here's the key. What I've found out about the way this process works is they didn't have to throw him in jail. Jail is the most severe option that they could have taken and they took it. What they could have done is they could have assigned him to a barracks, which would be a little unusual, but they would send out the Lieutenant Colonel to a barracks and they take his phone away. They can do that too. In the military, you turn over a lot of the basic, you know, rights that a lot of people have. Like for instance, in the military, they can um, punish you for cheating on your wife, right? Like whereas in civilian life, that can't happen, but in the military right. that can, right. you can be punished for adultery. So, um, in, in the military, lots more restrictions. Of course, it's the military. Uh, so there were lesser options available to them. And instead, what they did was they treated him the way that you would treat a hardened criminal in the military. They threw him in the brig. And that's that's for people who are a threat to themselves or others who are expected to potentially likely commit another serious crime. Um, Stuart Scheller was not going to do any of those things. He was not a threat to anybody. He was just a threat to the egos of the people at the top. And they could have, again, kept him from expressing all of these things through lesser means. They didn't. They're turning, they're making an example out of him. And uh, my impression of this guy, Stuart Scheller, is he's a principled man. And yeah, I, I don't doubt his principles. He said that there'd be consequences and now he's enduring them. Yeah, well, one thing that you said that I agree with is um, the fact that, and I think this goes into to many walks of life and many fields, that people on the lower end are often the people that feel the brunt of, of punishment. Yes. So, you know, yes. it kind of reminds me, you know, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what, what occurred um, with Abu Ghraib in, you know, in Iraq, when you had the pictures come out and the lower ranking soldiers were the ones and everybody was wrong everybody should have been punished for that sure. but if i'm not mistaken it was the it was the lower ranking soldiers that took the brunt of the punishment um for the the torture that that was going on there um and you know higher ranking people who were very much aware uh they got away pretty much scot-free um so I, I think that and and that's just the military we could talk about civilian life where Right. Of course, you know, higher ranking people make mis serious mistakes or even crimes. And the lower ranking people are the people who do, uh, you know, do the time and get the, the punishment for it. Totally. Um, so that that's just a problem in our society. Um, you know, I don't know that taking someone's phone away. I mean, we have so many means to communicate that taking his phone away it, you know, if you think that's going to keep him off the internet, like, 
I'm not so sure that that would have worked if he was really trying to get his message out uh, and demand accountability, as he said. Uh, taking his phone away was not gonna was not gonna stop him. You know what I mean? He could have gotten yeah. his wife to film it. He could have, you know, uh, they can't. They're not gonna take his wife's phone away. She's not military, so I, I don't know that those lower options would have worked. Um, they warned him several times. They gave him a, a, a gag order. And I think one of the, the larger things that I will say is this. Whenever you, even when it's righteous, and especially when it's a righteous cause, you have to be willing to accept the consequences. And I think that's what you know, I admire about you know, Lieutenant Scheller is it seems like he's willing to accept the consequences for what he did. Mm-hmm. You know, he recognized that he would be punished. Same thing if you want to talk about civil rights and all that. Those people recognized, okay, I'm going to go into, I'm going to go to jail. That's right. You know, and they did it anyway. It's kind of somebody told me yesterday because somebody told me yesterday it's kind of like an I am Spartacus moment. You know, that's in the, in the film that's they said that everybody's going to die unless you unless you turn over Spartacus. And then so each person starts standing up and saying, I'm Spartacus. I am Spartacus. Right. And like they're like, you know, the fight is on. You know, they know what the consequences are going to be. Um, but Stuart Scheller at the moment kind of stands alone. I mean, there's unless there's a lot of veterans out there who support him for sure, who are performers. Uh, but for the most part, you know, the military is um, rather quiet, the active duty ranks, uh, because they, you know, this is the world that they live in. It's just like, hey, fall in line. You know, you're you're part of the rank and file. Uh, you're part of the chain of command um, and you should know your place within that chain. Uh, but he's he's making a principled, noble stand and knows the consequences and is now suffering them. OK, so. Uh, let's move on to TikTok, and this time we're not going to be talking about a TikTok dance. Uh, we're going to be talking about one particular TikToker. I don't know if she is a prominent TikToker or not, but uh, apparently our producers thought she was notable. So let's look a look. Let's take a look at uh, what it is she had to say. Okay, but before we do that, I just want to tell tell you one thing. This show is brought to you by Goldco. Absolutely. All right, let's jump into that TikTok video. So earlier this week, I made a post saying that it doesn't sit right with me, that there are white people who own property, multiple properties at that, in the United States of America, why black and indigenous people are experiencing homelessness. And I want to expand on that, especially for my new followers who are white, who followed me because of my anti-racist content. I'm glad that you're listening to me, but I really want to make sure that you're hearing what I'm saying. There will never be black liberation or indigenous sovereignty as long as the United States of America exists. If you want black folks around the globe and in this country liberated, if you want indigenous folks to be able to have sovereignty over the lands that they're indigenous to, then the United States of America needs to cease to exist. And I don't know if y'all are ready for that. I don't know if that's what y'all signed up for. I'm not sure if anti-racist work is just something you do to Uh, lessen the inconvenience of racism in your life. But I hope you're ready for this. It's not for the week. All right, Jason. So you ready for that? Yeah, I was about to say. So I love like the escalating qualities of anti-racism. It's like, okay, now that you're in, let's be honest about what's really going on here. All right. So Uh, you're not you're not you're not anti-racist enough until you want to abolish the entire country. Are you in? Yeah. So first of all, Let's not conflate all anti-racism um, with thinking that the United States should cease to exist. Uh-huh. Um, you know, so again, cool clip, 
you know, and I know uh, I, I looked at a text from one of our producers and he was kind of pissed that I said one of our clips was silly. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I won't say that, but I, I, I definitely think because I love him. He knows I love him. Shout out. Um, but I, I definitely think that to conflate this with all anti-racism and I, I, I mean, if you're not anti-racism, what are you? Well, here's the you know thing. what I mean. Oh, yeah, That's course. my question. Obviously, nobody. If you're not anti-racism, what exactly are you? I mean, there's almost nobody who's like actually pro-racism. The whole thing's so stupid. Oh, there's... I don't know about that. You know? I, I I do. We live in a very. I don't think you do. I don't think you do. You haven't seen my sure. email or or my mail or anything. If you think that there's no people who are pro-racism, I didn't. You didn't hear right. You didn't. You're not repeating my, me correctly. I didn't say no people. I said the very small number of people were pro-racism. I mean, that's it's just the whole concept is insane. I, look, the majority of the country, the overwhelming majority of the country, I think you agree, is full of decent people who abhor racism, right? Are you asking me that as a question? Yeah, I'm asking you as a question. Overwhelming yeah, you majority say the of the country, the majority, the majority people who abhor racism. Yeah, the majority of the of the other people in this country. Overwhelming. Um, not it's not even close. Yeah. Overwhelming. It's like the majority it's gotta... of the people in this country definitely are against racism. I also think that there are and that's individual racism. I think that, again, you know, you know we could have a, dis a discussion, which we don't have time for today. But, <laughs> you know, the differences, the different types of racism, individual and institutional. Mm -hmm. I think most people abhor uh, individual racism. Absolutely. I agree with that. Most people right. are against you know, calling someone, you know, out of their name or, you know, not letting someone eat at a particular restaurant because of their race or, you know, I, I yeah. definitely think we're there. Um, but I will say this, even on individual racism, they've done studies and this generation, and I, and I always show this to my students, um, according to many studies, this generation uh, today is is not a whole lot less racist individually than baby boomers. Mm -hmm. You know, so the okay boomer thing, there are many studies that show when they ask questions, are, are, Afri you know, are African-American people less intelligent? You know, um, are they less hardworking? All of those kinds of things, when you start parsing it out, if you ask somebody, are you against racism? People are like, yeah, I'm not racist. But are African-American people less hardworking? Are they lazy? Yes. Mm -hmm. Then the racism starts coming out. You know, so again, I, I think, you know, we can take this blanket thing. If you want to say blanket, are people anti, are people not pro-racism? I know that's kind of a weird thing. But uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with that. But if you want to start parsing it out, yeah. then some of these things start to come out a little more so. My my point, and I kind of reiterated it probably in an earlier clip, but the idea is like, you know, this anti-racism movement is by and large a vehicle for bringing prejudice back to the United States. Uh, you know, this is, and when you say like, you know, you can't encapsulate all anti-racists in the thoughts of like one girl on a TikTok video, I agree with you totally. But, <laughs> yeah, but also that. it's kind of a sign that like, like nobody really quite knows exactly where, it, what it is and what the limits are, right? So like, it's spinning off in a million directions. A lot of this so-called anti-racism is mostly like a social media movement anyway. It's like this kind of slacktivism where people stare into cameras and then say what you need to do in order to be, you know, play your part in the fight or whatever. And that's what she's, she's saying, like, are you ready? Like, we got to abolish America. I, like, you know, it's like the, the Ibram Kendi thing. It's like, he's like, okay, well, the only, you know, the only answer to past discrimination is current discrimination. 
It's like, really? Like, I kind of yeah, feel like, I don't, I don't know like, if I've heard that quote in context. I've heard you cite it a bunch of times, but I, I doubt that Ibram Kendi would agree. And hopefully he'll come on the show at some point. I'd, I'd love to have him on the show, but I, I um, don't think that he would agree with this young lady. And again, this young lady's winning because we're talking about her on our show and we're introducing her and her TikTok to a larger audience who uh -huh. may have never heard her before. I've never heard of her, you know? Um, but then again, I, I only look at dances on TikTok. So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. But yeah. um, interesting discussion, but let's move forward and talk a little bit, you know, about um, somebody we all know, uh, Tucker Carlson. Yeah. Had some things to say about Kathy Hochul and her, um, who is the governor of New York, Hochul? Is that, am I saying that correctly? I've been saying um, Hochul, but if you can do whatever Hochul, you want. Maybe no, I think it's Hochul. I think you're right. Um, and her religious beliefs and how they coincide with uh, vaccination. So let's take a quick look. Great. God himself wants you to take the vaccine. I need you to be my apostles, Hochul thundered. No one comes to the father except through the shot. Sinners in the hands of an angry healthcare worker. At the pulpit, Kathy Hochul, not super bright as you may have noticed, seemed suddenly transformed, a transfiguration, if you will. Standing there, she wasn't merely a mediocre, unelected governor of a dying state with bad weather. No. Hochul was the vaccine messiah, preaching the undying word of St. Anthony Fauci. Can I get an amen, ladies and gentlemen? He made them come up with a vaccine. That is from God to us, and we must... Say, thank you, God. Thank you. And I wear my vaccinated necklace all the time to say, I'm vaccinated. All of you. Yes, I know you're vaccinated. You're the smart ones. But you know there's people out there who aren't listening to God and what God wants. I need you to be my apostles. I need you to go out and talk about it and say, we owe this to each other. We love each other. Jesus taught us to love one another. And how do you show that love? but to care about each other enough to say, please get vaccinated because I love you. I want you to live. I want our kids to be safe when they're in schools. I want you to be safe when you go to a doctor's office or to a hospital and are treated by somebody. You don't want to get the virus from them. I need every one of you. I need you to let them know that this is how we can get, fight, fight this pandemic, come back to normal, and then start talking about the real issues that we have to fighting systemic racial injustice, which exists today. And if there's a denier, I will take you on any date because I've seen it. I know it exists. And we are not going to have a blind eye to this ever again any longer under my watch. And that is my commitment to you. <laughs> so and, and you and I you and I talked about this, you know, off air, but <clears throat> I love Tucker. Well, I oh, know I'm going to get slammed for that. I know Tucker well. And why it's already out of the bag. You've, you've said it enough times. The cat's out of the yeah, bag. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think I, you know, but I love everybody. You know what I'm saying? I, I love humanity. Oh, really? You know Do you love Hitler? Oh, God, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Hitler's not alive. I never met him. And I doubt, you know, yes. we would have had any any kind of interaction. I don't think I don't think Hitler would have invited I, me on a show. I love uh, I love that you had to even to address that. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Um, But. Uh, one of the things, you know, Tucker always does is anyone who disagrees with him is dumb. You know, it's like, come on, bro. Like everyone who disagrees with you is not stupid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like 
we can actually have a dialogue where you don't have to call somebody stupid. Now, again, uh, I think what Kathy Hochul was saying, again, taking a little out of context, I think what she's trying to say is that, you know, we need to look out for our neighbors and, you know, particularly the vulnerable people. And the way we do that is by stopping the spread of a disease that could kill them. And how do we do that? And mm -hmm. in her estimation, that's through vaccination. Um, so she's saying this is an, an opportunity that's been given to us through science uh, and science being, you know, uh, can be lifesaving. You know, yeah. I, I think, you know, if you were talking to somebody a long time ago about a polio vaccine or measles, they would say, God, this is from God. <laughs> you know, this has saved my life or this has saved my children. Um, and so I think that's the argument that she's making. And again, I don't uh -huh. know if Kathy Hochul is Catholic um, or what denomination of Christianity she ascribes to, but the Pope is pro-vaccine. The mm -hmm. Pope said that. So, you know, the Pope being the leader of the Catholic Church, um, I, I know her predecessor was Catholic. I don't know if she is, but, um, you know, the Pope certainly is with, is with uh -huh. vaccines and says that they are, I think he said like a gift of love or something is getting vaccinated is like a gift you give of love. And I think that's the same uh, discussion that she's trying to have here. Well, Kathy Hochul, first of all, I want to give her some credit. That was really nice of her to say that the Trump administration and Operation Warp Speed were a gift from God. That was just such a, it was a nice bipartisan <laughs> thing to mention. I just like, just, I'll, I'll do credit to her for being willing to reach across the aisle like that. The other <laughs> part that really stands out to me is like, is like, she's like, I'm wearing my, my vaccination necklace and she's like god <laughs> wants you to be vaccinated i'm like what like you have a literal talisman you're wearing yeah, yeah. like a i'm gonna like ice a i'm gonna ice mine out you know i'm gonna get my vaccine <laughs> necklace and i'm gonna ice it out let's go have like, a big a vaccinate like a big v yes for vaccine like a flavor flav size you know syringe <laughs> like hanging <laughs> down around a your syringe. neck <laughs> like blinged out um yeah, get so it's Pfizer, you know. <laughs> like, really? You you're wearing a necklace? Like, you can you know calm it down just a little bit. At one point, she says says the phrase, "I want you to be my disciples." Now, I'm confused about apostles. is she saying, "Oh, my apostles?" Excuse me. Is she saying that she wants the people in her audience to be her apostles, or is she speaking in the voice of God? Now, I can't. I'm I'm not. <laughs> I'm not really sure what's going on. The whole thing felt really creepy, to be honest with you. Just like like god wants you to do this and like everyone drink it together and you're like okay how about just sell me on the efficacy of this thing now on the flip side of it to your point which is like you know like human ingenuity is of course a gift from god i mm -hmm. agree with that facts and like the idea that we can create remedies to the things that ail us we're enabled to do that by by what we are blessed with, the talents that we are blessed with. So I went to a college called the Sales University and it's patron saint, it's St. Francis de Sales. And the, the phrase that they instill on everybody who goes to the school is a quote from St. Francis de Sales. It's be who you are and be that well. And in other words, like live up to the talents that God has given you. And if you don't do that on a daily basis, then you're sort of failing in your core mission, which is that like God granted you all these talents. Why aren't you using them? Like, like use your gifts. And so what's happened is like, yeah, people have used their gifts in order to advance medicine in really meaningful ways, incredible ways that have helped humanity. And that is a gift from God. That's true. And, um, and I'm reminded of the, um, 
there's a homily, like a, like a sermon that sometimes is given. I don't know if it's t- told all over the place, but I've heard before, like kind of as a joke basically, but, but it has a good point to it, which is like the guy who, who prays to God every day to win the lottery. And he's like, God, please like today, may, may today be the day that I win the lottery. And he goes through his whole life making that same prayer and never once winning the lottery. And he arrives, you know, at the pearly gates and he asks, why is it that I, you know, I prayed so often. Why is it that I, I never won the lottery? He says, you never bought a ticket. <laughs> and the key is like, you have to do something for your, like you, in order to like achieve these things, you have to like do something for yourself. You have to like for take sure. those, take those opportunities. So the point is like, yeah, I think, you know, medicine of course is in of itself. Um, is it one of those many gifts from that we get from God and fa- fantastic thing saves loved ones. But there, there was a deep, creepy vibe to the way Kathy Hochul was presenting that. I need you to be my disciples. I've got my talisman on. Join me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was, you know, again, we saw it uh, in a Fox News clip, which I'll let you judge. I don't you know, know. That how, was a how that good, was edited. That was a but, pretty good chunk, I thought. But it, but it did look, uh, it did look a little, a little creepy. Um, I, I think when she got the opportunity to speak to a large church audience, uh, she wanted to use it um, in the interest of public health to, to save her state. And again, I think it was funny. Tucker said a dying state in New York. No, New York's not dying. New York is thriving. The states that are dying, go to Mississippi, go to Alabama, go to you know some of those other you know southern states. Those are the states that that are suffering, particularly when it comes to COVID and even, you know, poverty, education. You want to talk about dying. Talk about those Republican led states. Actually, California, believe it or not, even though it has an, a homelessness issue, uh, California has the lowest uh, rate of COVID, I think, in the country right now. And New York's doing pretty well as well, despite having people in its largest city literally living shoulder to shoulder foot to foot. But here's what it, but it, but it comes at a loss though for New York, and the loss is the loss to the liberty of its people. That's I think pretty consequential. I think it matters a lot. Yeah, I think like, that's so, different than dying, but yeah, it is. Uh, you can but make like that if you're, argument. But if you're a person of faith, you don't actually get quite as obsessed, I think, with your mortality. I think I've seen we've. We've seen a very secular response to the pandemic, which is like everyone is like so zealously guarding their mortality that they've driven themselves crazy. Um, and uh, so in New York, what's happening is like earlier this week, Kathy Hochul fired all of like thousands of medical professionals. They, they're just fired because there was a mandate that said they had to be vaccinated. So by so on Monday night, thousands of medical professionals were fired across the state who were unvaccinated, who were like, no, I don't want to, or I have natural immunity. I'm not going to do it. These are people who've been working the entire pandemic with COVID patients and they just all got canned. And so what Kathy Hochul said is, well, now the National Guard medical professionals will come in and make up the shortfall. We'll we'll call in the National Guard for that. Like what? Like this is a legitimately serious health pandemic. If it's, if it's a serious pandemic, you don't fire your health professionals. Yeah. Well, I I think if you're really a health professional, which by the way, Doctors are largely, I mean, I think it's like 98% of physicians in major hospitals are vaccinated. And what they've seen around the country is when they have the vaccine mandates, people threaten to quit, but they rarely do. They actually just get vaccinated. I know, um, I think it was 15% of the people in the Houston Methodist um, hospital system were unvaccinated. They put out a vaccine mandate. People. 
you know, whined and everything. And then it got down to about 1% unvaccinated. It's awful. So people didn't, people didn't quit. And if you are in a healthcare setting, that's the one place where it's, you know, I think a vaccine mandate makes sense everywhere else. You know, I, I hear, I'll hear the argument, but as a health professional, and you're going to be around people and potentially make them sicker than when they came in. I think that that is, you're not really caring about patients then. So I, I, that's the way I personally feel about it. Um, healthcare professionals, if you really care, and the, and the doctors, like you, everyone says, follow the science. Maybe if you are uh, an ophthalmologist that's not board certified, maybe you'll be <laughs> vaccine hesitant. Um, but the others, largely, overwhelmingly uh-huh. physicians in major hospitals are vaccinated. Yeah. So, I just don't, I just don't like this trend of like punishing people into submission. They get fired and they don't even qualify for unemployment. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? Yeah. No, like, well, they, I, I, they've, they've worked the entire pandemic on the front lines, serving COVID patients, taking care of them, bringing them back and uh, they get fired. They don't qualify for unemployment because of it. It's it's, I think it's despicable actually. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, if you are a healthcare person and you want to actually take care of patients um, and you could potentially we, you know, we don't know where. And, and in some cases, those hospitals in New York and other places, uh, many people ended up getting COVID. Now they're saying, you know, you can get COVID and the flu. Um, so someone can come in, you know, with with one ailment and come out in a body sure. bag because they catch COVID from their nurse. Or, or their dietary tech or something. I, I think that, you know, if you really care about your, your uh, profession, as I said, I come from a, a family of healthcare workers. Right. You know, my mother was a healthcare worker. My father was a healthcare worker. My wife is a healthcare worker. <laughs> like that is the family business other than education. This is why you're and, in such good shape, by the way. I want to just point this out. There's like health, healthcare people all around Jason all the time. He's got a full-time staff. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, you need to come over, um, you know, and and we'll we'll hit shoulders together. That's right. We got to do shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. Thank you to everybody who's been watching. Um, of course, this is brought to you by Gold Co. and by uh, Grunt Style. Yeah. So we want to thank them. We want to thank all of you who watch, who like and subscribe. Tell your friends to like and subscribe. You can catch us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and see us. Um, on any podcast platform and of course on youtube or facebook watch we really appreciate you we really appreciate um you know everyone who gets into these discussions all the people who comment and comment actually smart comments uh in the words of tucker carlson we don't appreciate the dumb people that's right Uh, (laughs) but um look forward to to having more episodes and you're gonna actually see some really really amazing guests I promise. And if you haven't gotten a chance, go back and watch the episode uh, where we interview Dave Rubin. It's a great episode. Um, And you'll get a lot out of that. Peace out. Thanks, Vince. Peace out. Thanks, man.